Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, and suspects. What you're about to hear is a clip from our exclusive Patreon episode in which we celebrate the 35th anniversary of Michael Mann's Manhunter. How do you hear the full thing? Become a member of our Patreon on The Rewind. You can find a link in the description of this episode, or you can visit patreon.com backslash Halloweeniespod. Hope to see you there so we can give you one more scare. So, Mike, I peeled back the tape on the back of the box. It's actually from Village Video, which was my video store. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, wait a second. Let me look at the other tape. I'm going to peel back that one. It says Village Video also. <laughs> oh, my God. God. Jesus Christ. It does, doesn't it? It, it does. Does, it does. I'm going to, like, stare like I'm like Farina. I'm going to get off the phone and be like, I love, oh I love that God. scene. We're going to talk about that soon. But, look, I'm going to do a rundown real quick. Uh, directed by Michael Mann, as we mentioned, screenplay by Michael Mann, uh, based on the Thomas Harris 1981 novel, Red Dragon, released August 15th, 1986, which is, you're listening to it on August 15th. So, hey, happy birthday. $15 million budget, only grossed 8.6 million. So, sorry, Dino. 93% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 75 on Metacritic. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Again, uh, no awards. But in France, it was screened the following April at the, I'm going to totally butcher this, but the, the Cognac Festival du Film Policier, where it was awarded the Critics' Prize. So, win-win. Well, they don't understand film. They don't, I guess not. <laughs> I'm, kidding. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, shot in like everywhere. Like everywhere that you see in this movie, it was pretty much shot there. It was shot in Atlanta, Georgia. It was shot in Captiva, Florida. It was shot in Wilmington, South Carolina. It was shot in Chicago, Illinois, Washington, That's DC. crazy to me. I did not know that. Is that wild? Well, they, Louis. And they probably didn't need to, right? Like those right. Are sh- they're, they're all like just house interiors for the most part that, uh-huh. you could, that you could film anywhere. But I love that he did that. I mean, it's probably what makes the movie so good. And last but not least, Chicago, Illinois, which you can see, uh, you know, but this is like back when you can actually shoot in location. And this is one of my biggest gripes today is the fact that like everything's shot in Atlanta. Nothing looks fucking real. It just, there's no authenticity to it. So I actually applaud the fact that they did, even though Dino was just probably sitting there with all the fucking travel bills, just like, oh, you're killing me, Michael. (laughs) He's like, eight million, eight million of this is just the travel. It's just yeah, we got we got to take away six million from the cocaine budget. Yeah, I know. I can only imagine how much cocaine was on set, considering they were that doing like twenty five to thirty hour days. That's worth mentioning about Michael Mann and part part of his style, mm-hmm. is the authenticity that oh, he likes to bring. Yeah, to everything from the characters to the locations. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Especially love that black hat when yeah. we get to go inside <laughs> the computers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's save Michael Mann. Let's save Michael Mann for just a second because we're going to go okay, on a long okay, okay. diet. We're going to go long on Michael Mann. Keep going. Keep going, Mike. So this is this is while it, it was eight weeks in 40 days. And they said, it's funny because in the, the commentary, Michael Mann's like fairly long days, fairly long days. But then you listen to like Noonan and Peterson and they were talking about how they were going and Dante Spinati. And they're like, uh, you know, we would work like 25 or 30 hour days. It's like, all right. So Michael Mann has no concept of time. Before we get into Mann, I think we need to talk about kind of like the context of where we're at. So, and I love doing this on the rental. I do it every time. So just bear with me just for a second. We got to look at like what, where horror is at and like also the crime thriller, because I almost want to kind of see if this really is like the beginning of uh, the true crime wave. So 86 is a big year for horror and it's in a weird way uh, because in the lead up to Manhunter in the first quarter, you get house, the hitcher, terror vision, nomads, in the second quarter, you get Critters, Crawl Space, Poltergeist 2, 
Invaders from Mars, Psycho 3, Vamp, Haunted Honeymoon, and our, our one of our favorite movies, Jason Lives. So not that big. I, I think I kind of you know oversold it there. It's a, it's a little weird transitional year, I feel like. You're getting a lot more comedy in horror. So when you think about Manhunter, at least if we're considering it in the horror genre, which we are, it's kind of an outlier, you know, it's stylish, but it's gritty and dark and it's real in a way that horror clearly wasn't at that time. Um, and here's the even bigger kicker. It, it comes out the same weekend as the fly. So, <laughs> I mean, talk about a pretty forward thinking progressive weekend in terms of the genre movies. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that you really have to consider with Manhunter is just the crime thriller, because when you think about Manhunter, I, I think you get a, we can kind of get a sense of the legacy that it would, you know, provide because you, you consider the 80s thriller it's really just kind of a stylized extension of like the hyper violent thrillers in the 70s and what i think that manhunter did is that it and it's kind of more emblematic of man's craft that we're going to be talking about is that it kind of took the genre to task because you know it introduces forensics and psychology um behind all the crime that's being brought to the table in fact this was the first film um, and a lot of the crew, the cast and crew talk about this. This is one of the first films to actually like work in forensics and criminologists on screen. And so, you know, it doesn't really get into the weeds of it kind of like as much as like silence does. I, I, would know, say. An, I wanted to just interject that there's an, an interview with uh, William Peterson from 1986 where he's out promoting this wearing one of the shirts that from the movie. So I don't know if that came from his wardrobe or if he uh, stole <laughs> yeah. it off the set, but he mentions that the FBI was a big fan of this movie and was very happy with it. Oh yeah. Cause they were involved. I mean, he, Peterson talks about how you went to Quantico. He went to like man went to Quantico. He like, they, I mean, they, they did their fucking research on this and it shows. And I, cause like, I mean, the authenticity, as you're saying, Mike, I mean, it's, it's all palpable here, but I would say in terms of like the mainstream effect, it's not Manhunter. Because it really is Silence of the Lambs that kind of really made it mainstream five years later. So if you look at the roots of it, I almost kind of liken it this. And this is the, the last I'll say of this. I'd say that if you're looking at like alternative music, right? You got the Pixies, you got your Nirvana. I would say like this is the, the Pixies to Silence of the Lambs Nirvana with CSI being like Nickelback. <laughs> like taking the sound to like just this. the shittiest levels. And that's kind of where it, it, it's pasteurized. It's so far away from what it was originally. You needed to have Manhunter walk so yes. that Silence of the Lambs could run. And Silence of the Lambs is just, or rather Manhunter is just a little bit weirder because of the ultra stylishness of it. Not to say Jonathan Demme's movie is devoid of style. No. But it is a it's, different. It, it, it's definitely indicative of the even though I think it's a 1990, 1991, 1991. Yeah. Uh it's kind of uh, one of those early movies where when you discuss a decade about how those first couple of years don't really look like the 90s. Yep. But Silence of the Lambs looks like the 90s. It kind mm-hmm. of nails it. It's kind of like how American Gigolo, which will probably come up later um on the show, kind of it comes out in February of 1980. But if you look at that movie from the typeface they used, uh, the poster, the Giorgio Armani, our Giorgio Armani suits, and the overall style of that film, it very much feels like an 80s movie, not a 70s movie, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it was probably being, it was, you know, it was certainly being shot in 1979. In 70s, yeah. 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 And that's kind of what we talked about with Friday the 13th. You know, the fact that like they filmed it in 79, comes out in the 80s. It's technically an 80s movie, but it's not. And it's, you could kind of make the case with like Thief the same way is that Thief feels like a 70s movie. But this is definitely an 80s movie, like through and through. Like, I I mean, it's so emblematic of its era that 
if you told me to put together a list of top three movies of the eighties to really show what the eighties looks like. The eighties time capsule. Yes. This is one of them for sure. I mean, especially feature film, because I would just throw you Miami vice and be like, Hey, go nuts. There's the, la- but the, you the can, last half. You, you pretty much get all of Miami vice in this. You really do. Movie. Yeah. 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 From the clothes to the aesthetics to everything. It's kind of Miami vice condensed. But what, what I mean, don't you agree though that like it, the the authenticity and the forensics is kind of what separates it from some of the more like sexual crime thrillers of the eighties? Because I feel like that was what was really defining the thriller up until then. Like absolutely, and, and yeah. it's funny because it almost seems quaint now, right? Because mm-hmm. we have gotten CSI and everything else like that. But I, I I do I mean not not I think I mean I'm from everything I've read that is what made the film so groundbreaking back then and got it so much acclaim. I mean obviously though even though it didn't do well at the box office, right? Like but the reviews were. Oh, across oh, yeah. the board excellent mm-hmm. except for dave kerr in the chicago tribune <laughs> yeah. who criticized it for being overly stylized Oof, that is a rough review a fucking rough you said that earlier but oh man i think it's hard because it, you said it came up it came out against the fly mm-hmm. here's what was, was playing a, that was a huge smash yeah you have it? a good rundown Vanderbilt. here's what was playing in your local multiplex uh when okay. manhunter was released you wow. had armed and dangerous with john candy Transformers the movie because we yes, have to get a Transformers the movie reference. On it's here. also Dino. It it's is. a Dino. Yeah. The Fly, Oof. Aliens, One Crazy Summer. Good movie. It's fun. It's just, I mean, not all these stuff that was uh, Running Scared. So you're going uh, to, all was, right. So you're going to see Running so, Scared, Vanderbilt. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, Another great the movies. Two great Chicago films. And then uh, I sent this to the group. Uh, there was going to be a special sneak preview of Stand By Me that set the Saturday of that weekend yeah. at theaters all across Chicago. Chicago was a big uh, town for preview screenings like that. Yeah. Mm. I, and because that was only like a week away from release. Oh, and Friday the 13th, part six. Yeah. And it was still it was in theaters. Played. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you had a choice. And I don't think. I think we'll talk about the title, but I really do think the title hurts this movie because it's so bland. Like it's just, even now, I, I mean, I love this movie. I, I, I worship this movie. Didn't, weren't they against it too for a minute because they thought it was going to sound like a gay porn movie for, for real. Wasn't that like a, and, I, and they still went with it. So I don't know. <laughs> My, oh, well, I think Will and Peterson in an interview, he didn't like the title red dragon. Cause he said it sounded like a karate movie. Well, it didn't, it, <laughs> they didn't go with red dragon because Dino De Laurentiis, who we're going to talk about, might as well talk about him. You know, um, he was the one that was know. like, you cannot do this title because uh, the... It sounds... People come to... No, it was because <laughs> of Year of the Dragon. Yep. It was Year of the Dragon. Year of the Dragon bomb. I don't want anything to do with dragons. No heroin on the set. There'll be no chasing of the dragons. No karate movie bullshit. So... In the commentary, man talks about. I, I know. I, can't, I We have all. Has anyone actually heard, heard Dino sounds, talk? Never Has anyone it. ever heard him talk? I've never watched an interview with him. All, all I've heard is Bruce Campbell do impersonations, and it's felt pretty dead on the one that we do for Losers Club, which is just like <laughs> oh, the Steven. He's, he's like Italian, though, right? So it probably is, is closer oh, yeah. to what Vanderbilt's doing yeah. than we're like Dino. Yeah, Dino <laughs> is basically like the Tony Wilson of like Tony Wilson factory records. Like he's like the, the, the Tony Wilson of like genre movies and like film in general. Like, I mean, it's kind of fucking crazy. His career might be the, one of the craziest careers in the history of filmmaking. It's like, still up and down too. It's so wild. Wild. I, I, I know why they didn't do this because 85, you know, produced year of the dragon, yes. which is a huge flop. Yeah. And I think that they just wanted to get away from dragon. As they a did. Title. Yeah. yeah. Which is the dragon. Right? Year of the dragon is a pretty cool flick too. 
Obviously, I finally really? caught it. It's wild. I yeah. finally caught it at the music box uh, last. Oh, in seven because they have that. That was yeah, released. It was, in 70. it was right before the fall of uh, <laughs> mankind. Obviously, um, Dino has made some good decisions, right? He's had a lot of hits on his hands. He's got good instinct sometimes, but he's I the one who like... said you had to have blood in the. Uh, wasn't mm-hmm. the other one? No, it in wasn't Halloween it was too, one. right? No, it was the Golden Globus guys. I was I was getting okay, okay. I was getting my <laughs> wild man producers confused. <laughs> same, well, same, look same look at this beginning they have though. It's fucking crazy. Like he so he starts out producing like you know Italian neorealist films like Bitter Rice, Bellini's La Strada, which actually wins him uh, an Academy Award. So he actually like created a whole studio overseas that goes bankrupt. So he comes to America, and. He goes this, he does this insane horror run, which in hindsight actually looks better now because at the time, I'm sure a lot of these were flops, but now they're like, you know, what do we say about the flops or the critically derided movies on a long enough timeline? They're going to come on and be cult classics. Most of these are now. So he did like Halloween 2, Amityville 2, and 3. 3 is not good. 2 is great. Uh, Dead Zone, Firestarter, I guess we're mixed on. Dune, still mixed on, but people like people still talk about these movies. Cat's Eye, Maximum Overdrive leading up to this, and Silver Bullet. He was a visionary. He was a visionary. He was a visionary. And well, so and, and Schwarzenegger's raw deal. Well, that and that's the beginning of DEG, which is Delorentis Entertainment Group, which actually kicked off in the summer of 86. 86 is a big year for Dino. He was getting ready for surfing <laughs> up and all across Hollywood. He was starting his new uh campaign. And this the starting lineup is pretty Dino. good. So give a thumbs up on these. Give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. Arnold's raw deal. This is what kicked off DEG. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Never saw uh, it. I'll give it a uh, thumbs up. Okay, so it's not I, too good. The soundtrack alone, the theme, the raw deal theme is yeah. excellent. Okay, so theme's good. The Kaminsky stomp, get there. Okay, okay. So I'm gonna look up the <laughs> look up the Kaminsky stomp. It's it's um, it's so good. I'll post it. It's so good. My Little Pony, the movie. Never seen it. Never saw that one, but I should. My Little Pony, the movie's pretty cool. They have this um, cat villain named Katrina. No joke. It's like this like, <laughs> freaky cat woman with long hair. And it used to freak me out as a kid. Talk about oh horror movies. God. I'm going to give that oh, a yeah. big, no, big I, thumbs I need up to do, for that. I need to do that and the Care Bears movie, I think, which I've also Care Bears never is good. seen. I like Care Bears. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. out on the My Little Pony movie, but I, well, I'm just... I'm just being mean. Look, you I should get Andrew Brony. WK's impression or you know thoughts on it because I th- I believe he's a pony. Uh, I watched. Hey, I watched the new show once on accident. It was on after something else. I understand bronies. It was pretty funny. It was fun. Yeah, it was I funny. Mean, those, those ponies got some powers. Oh yeah, I know that you like. I mean, we all Maximum Overdrive were indifferent, but it's still. I get the thumbs up. It's a stupid. Uh, fun. It falls in oh, Halloween it's, it's three. Fun. It's got such a legacy. It's a stupid movie. It might even be a bad movie, but mm-hmm. I totally understand its appeal. Mm. Great late night feature. Have you, have you played that at the Riff? No, we haven't done a Stephen King weekend yet. Ooh, we should do Maximum. I feel like Maximum Overdrive would play fun. Uh, I think that's play a good one. fun. Play, play fun, well, especially in a drive-in, right? Yeah. No, play I nice, think it would play work. Nice now, Maximum. All right, and last, I know that I know Caffrey loves this one. Transformers the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, like a top ten film for me. One of my favorite movies. Too. I think all you got three. One of my favorite movies of all time. Honestly, like the Absolutely more it's, it's a top twenty for me. I recently purchased it and watched it, uh, and and with both eyes open, I really, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, oh, excellent! So talk about style, man. I think that movie is as much style as Manhunter. Equally as good of a soundtrack. That's not an exaggeration. This if I if excellent. I if I may, that Vince DiCola's score at times reminds me of like the kind of score you'd hear in a Michael Mann movie, particularly the Moonbase Two. Jazz to Moonbase Two. Yeah. 
Are you going to get a Michael Mann helmed Transformers cartoon film? Oh, I hope so. Are you kidding me? Amazing. I mean, honestly, the. It's like actually the 56 Chevy was painted this blue. It's just Optimus on the beach looking into the sunset for like five minutes with like Sense Score going. He's trying to get get Hot Rod to come back and. He's like, like, I can't move the sand in my gears. And like one of the female cars betrays him and then gets taken away in a helicopter and like voiced by Ted can't Nugent. You, can't you just see like an 80s like club sequence with like robots like dancing, but like You're fucking ridiculous like 80s I, dancing on the floor? I will say Transformers movie gives more for the RC, the chick Autobot to do than Michael Mann usually does in That's most of his movies. True. <laughs> Vanderbilt, yeah. I, I charge characters. you, Vanderbilt, I charge you to do a Transformers Manhunter mashup. Oh, you got oh, to. Yeah. Here we you go. Could, you could because the, the, the animation time. Take in the movie is really shadowy at times. So you could easily do that. There well, is a Transformers G1 episode where Blaster, who's the boombox transformer, he befriends a bunch of teens at the club and dances with them, but he's like huge. <laughs> and then then the uh, I think the Decepticons. Okay, that's enough. I, all right, because you're gonna get stuck on this side <laughs> downward spiral. It's your fault, Mike. No, it's no, I know. Fault. Look, I'm I'm, I'm cutting this. off you, you said teens, right? Well, the teens didn't flock to the movie theaters, and let's say <laughs> the party didn't last long for Dino it's because sick. by 1987. August of 1987, a year later, DEG was already $16.5 million in debt. You know, had to exit his role as the president. So, but here's the thing, like, despite the bankruptcy, like he still fucking put out some great stuff. Cause like, you know, DEG was also responsible for Blue Velvet, Evil Dead 2, Trick or Treat, which is a lot of fun, Near Dark, Pumping and Pumpkinhead, Tape Heads, I'm, on, I'm iffy on that one, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and one of my favorite date movies, Earth Girls Are Easy. So... Dino, he's a classic. But here's my question. Since Dino got his way and they had to call it Manhunter, despite even Michael Mann today in this recent commentary track, which I guess was only which was about 20 years ago, but he still he still is pissed about it. He said, I wanted to call it Red Dragon. That's one point of this picture that shows how, how I was overruled by Dino. And he he's said that they had hilariously funny arguments, which I mean, I, I bet you was fucking heated. I bet you that they're both coked out of their heads and they're just like... <laughs> Just like it should be Red Dragon, Dino. Just it all, be I, Red all Dragon. I'm picturing is is that scene in What American Summer where Janine Garofalo and yeah, uh, Joe Latrulio are just trashing everything, trying to find and you know, and they're thing, just yeah. going in, they're just tearing everything apart for no reason, but still yelling. Yeah, I could see that. Well, because it was called Manhunter, land name. Would you say that whatever box office totals that came in, it was maybe perhaps saved by its poster? Because I, I, I got to say, the poster looks great. It's it's well, like a new wave the, album. Was that VHS one, the original poster? Or is that, or am I, do you know what I mean? Oh. The one that we saw in the store? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> so Go, the, take it away. <laughs> the VHS box art is not the, the original one sheet. I believe there may have been a one sheet based on that artwork. So I think there's a lot of uh, overseas posters in this one. Yeah. But the when we think of the iconic Manhunter poster, we're thinking of uh, the, as it's called, the Style A or the Sport uh, design uh, was done by Clive Piercy, who just this died one? in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, the one. That's a little Love cooler it. than the VHS one. I like that one. Love that uh, one. There was also this one. We'll, we'll post all these again. I posted them on my. Yeah, that one's cool day. too. That's I feel like it's overseas, right? I think that's the. That's yeah. definitely. I think it might be the Italian one. Yeah, they There's don't allow cool artwork like that in an America. Overseas one, yeah. But Clive Piercy was a British and American designer. Uh, author, educator. He split his time between London and uh, Los Angeles. He's known for his typography, as we can see on that Manhunter poster. That's totally. very indicative of the decade. Color and wit. 
while and bringing a, as they say, a British sensibility to the California aesthetic. Some of his notable works: Elton John's Too Low for Zero record, Makes sense. William Lennon's Help Yourself record from '91. Uh, Elton John was from '83. He did the book design for Curb Your Enthusiasm, the book by Larry David. I have that actually. Six hmm. uh, opening titles for Married in America by Michael Apted. And uh, I think what ties in ni- envelopes nicely into our uh, discussion of thrillers and decades. He collaborated with John Sabell on David Fincher's Seven. He oh. helped design John Doe's diaries and uh, the the opening and kind of the credits of the film. So it's he does. A, I feel like it's a very montage style. It's mm-hmm. very if you look at his work, it's very colorful. It's very new wavy. It's very influenced. It's very of that era. And I think the style of this poster, the one we're talking about, mirrors the film perfectly. It's kind of a collage of ideas with a very '80s neon slickness that is Manhunter. Yeah. Did you say hey slick? another mannerism and then a mannerism yeah i i agree i mean it, it looks like a fucking new wave album or it looks like a nintendo game like a nintendo game that never was like either way it looks of its era it probably scared people off though because it kind of it's a little too arty mm-hmm. i think for a thriller you know yeah. people like, don't know what kind of fly. movie they're getting there because <laughs> the fly is also similarly stylized for the poster i'm just trying to imagine going to the multiplex in 86 you see that poster isn't the fly the fly poster just the opening of the tube? Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's you the tube, the, and you see, you you see the, the little the leg person's hand coming out, but you have the fly leg coming. Yeah, out. you have two really artsy posters. The fly the fly could run on its legacy. People That's knew true. what they were getting. People that knew is true. What the, the original fly was. Yeah, it's it's just so strange because it's such a reverse call compared to now, where like you couldn't even like we can't even make a Sopranos movie or a spinoff without having Sopranos in the title. So like the idea of like <laughs> this hit novel and then saying, yeah, we're not going to use the title. <laughs> it is I kind mean, of, a- it is kind of asinine. It's so antithetical to like Red, now. When did the book come out? 81. Red Dragon. Yeah, it was like five so, years beforehand. So it, was, it was already, yeah, it's five years later. Mm-hmm. But that's still such a huge thing because like one of my favorite stories about this is uh, our boy uh, Robert Evans, who we were discussing earlier this week, I think, on uh, the Halloweenies commentary for uh, Friday the 13th. Love Story was a script, Hmm. but they had the guy write the book based on his own script so that they could get it in bookstores. And then it sold, and they that was they were crossing their fingers it was going to do that. So then, when they sold the movie in February of 1970, they can say based on the number one bus bestseller love story. Yeah, so that was just a bigger deal then, I think, mm-hmm. and maybe up until the 2000s to have be based on a bestselling book. Yeah, when um when Red Dragon came out in the 2000s, I mean, it makes sense by this point, right? Because we've had Sons of the Lambs, the movie, mm-hmm. and Hannibal wasn't too long before that. Didn't did they say something? about did they connect it at all to no. sounds of the lamps did they say like from, from oh, the oh book yeah no of, they do the book oh, no, of no, lecture like yeah they, sure, right? they went all the in the trailer was heavy in anthony hopkins is like do you know what i mean well and then so, they had that like, stu- they had that stupid ending in red dragon where they're like oh there's a young woman here to see i know it's like wait so like, red bad. dragon's supposed to be like years before so it is. <laughs> yeah. lives. it's so stupid anyway uh, but for first off I, I i remember and this kind of dials back to like my first time watching manhunter i remember i was so big on manhunter just because i well i'm from south florida so i love miami vice i love a lot of his style that he brought there because We'll talk a little bit about his influence in South Florida in just a minute, but that was a huge stand from Michael Mann, a man stand. And 
when Red Dragon came out, I remember these motherfuckers coming out of that movie and just being like, well, this is so much better than that stupid movie, Manhunter. And I just went into the other theater and I screamed. Like, I just was like... No, I, I, I heard like, a lot about that because... And everybody's argument was that it was... Well, it's more faithful to the book. I and I don't even think that's ever even necessarily a good thing because no. would I, in Manhunter, would I like to see the extended ending where... Dollar Hyde. Comes for uh, Will Graham's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... It's really anticlimactic after yeah. everything that comes before. So I think it was smart on man, and I'm sure it was even more so De Laurentiis saying, "You cut out, you know, you don't need 90 minutes, just like I tell David Lynch. 90 minutes, that's all you get." And it's funny because it's you like know, I'm on the other end of that. See, I actually really liked, and I think it's because the, I think the reason I like that in, in Red Red Dragon is because it really se- it really separates itself from this film. If it didn't have that, I feel like I would it would be too much the same movie. Sure. Yeah. I, really I love that we get the very similar. Davida scene. Like that scene feels so distinctly man to me and mm-hmm. honestly it's really the only time it really diverts plot-wise. I mean I mean not the only time, but you know I mean that's it's the biggest plot diversion from the book. It is. But it yeah. feels so like it feels like it couldn't happen in any other movie. Like if you well, did that in Red Dragon it would feel weird, you know. I mean, let's right. talk about Michael Mann, finally. Because, uh, well, he's a filmmaker from Chicago, Illinois. You, you might know him from your hometown. Uh, he's, uh, I believe he's in his 70s at this point. But no, at the time, you know, when you get to with Michael Mann, the thing I love about him so much, and we talked a little bit about authenticity, is that like, he's going to take the bare bones of things. He's very Kubricky in that way. Like, if you look at it, the way he adapts things, it's kind of the same way that Kubrick does in that, he'll get the broader ideas, but then he'll drill it down to like some sort of realism. And I feel like everyone in this movie did that. Like you look at Brian Cox and we'll talk about him in a little bit about his depiction for Lecter or even Noonan's depiction, you know, of Dollar Hyde. They all come from a sense of like a real historical context as opposed to what's in the book. So already this movie was going to be a total distinction from the actual book itself. But uh, let's catch us up on where man was at this time. So. This is a third feature film. This is fourth, if you count the Jericho Mile, and you probably should because it's fucking great. And Michael Mann's pretty hot because he's coming off of Miami Vice and he's only a month removed from actually debuting Crime Story, which is another great s- series for him. And you could really tell, by the way, that he's shot. Just it's 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 an extension of, my, of Miami Vice. And but at the same time, feature wise, he's a little winsome, loosesome because even though he tipped off the decade with Thief, which was just critically acclaimed and fairly commercially successful. He followed it up with The Keep and didn't really exactly (laughs) uh, coincide with his vision. It's a sci-fi horror film about uh, Nazis. Quite an ambitious second film. It's like literally the the definitive like sophomore feature from an ambitious filmmaker. And he never got his real vision on there. But so, you know, he toils away, does Miami Vice, and then in 86, he's so hot that he's already producing stuff. And I think so, what needs to be talked about with Miami Vice quickly is that it really wasn't his idea. He was brought mm-hmm. on no. as executive producer. And yeah. the pitch was originally MTV Cops. Yeah. He definitely just came in in terms of like, let me shape this up and make it. But sense. his stamp is all over it. Oh, totally. Totally. Feels like a man thing. Yeah. 